Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental or emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he's gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as he or she personally chooses, while accepting full responsibility for his or her own individual thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and actions. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares, and by listening to this program, you're acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and actions. Happy Thursday, everybody. I hope you're having a really great week, and I'm so glad that you've decided to spend an hour or so of it here with me. This is The Last Symptom, and I'm Brian Barnett, the creator and host. Today's topic is black and white thinking. The professional community often refers to it from time to time as splitting which is a term I despise and reject. It's just another example of terminology that in no way paints an accurate picture of what it's really supposed to be describing. If anybody listening right now is honest about it, then you would admit that if you had had no exposure or experience with psychological issues and somebody just come up to you and started talking about splitting you wouldn't have a clear idea whatsoever of what splitting is supposed to refer to. You might think they're talking about chopping firewood. (laughs) Or you'd think it was some sort of multiple personality disorder thing at, at most, wouldn't you? No, the only people walking around using this sort of terminology are those who have had it come down through the water hose to them, originating from the professional community, And a person says, well, I can adopt that terminology and immediately sound a lot smarter to others. If that's the term the professionals use, I I don't want to sound like somebody who doesn't know what he's talking about. So I'm going to adopt that term too. And then what you end up with, you see, is a bunch of people parroting utterly useless terminology that instead of contributing to and complimenting society's grasp and understanding of these things, it it actually works to obstruct it instead. Think about that. The very group of people that is responsible for helping goes out of their way time and time again to instead do things that, by their very nature, obstruct, obstruct the thing that they're supposed to be helping with. Ain't that just like... That crazy professional community out there will we'll take what is not complicated, but then create terminology and explanations around it to make it as vague and unclear as we possibly can. And why do they do this? Well, in large part, it's a self-serving stroking of intellect. You know, it's meant to raise them up while stepping on your neck to do it. But let's not get off on a tangent here. The main topic today will be black and white thinking. Do you see how easy that is? It precisely communicates 
what we're actually talking about. You know, it's thinking in absolutes. So we're going to discuss the explanations behind this feature of emotional unhealth, and we're even going to take a look at some of the things you hear me being adamant about, and we'll consider whether or not those things are examples of me being black and white. Before we get into that discussion, let me draw your attention to thelastsymptom.com, my website full of free resources. Go there. Take advantage of all that you can. While you're there, leave me a donation to support my work, if you are so inclined. And a great big thank you to those who have donated these past couple of weeks. Today's episode is thanks to you. So let's all give those generous folks a round of applause, unless you're driving or operating a chainsaw. In that case, just nod your head in agreement. The paid services I offer, which you can access through thelastsymptom.com, are these. One-on-one phone or Zoom conversations with me. And the latest thing I'm most excited to offer is the Last Symptom Fundamentals course in a pre-recorded format. What is this? fundamentals course I'm talking about. Well, it is an intensive two-week video course that is a far superior replacement to programs like DBT. The last symptom fundamentals course is meant to help you in your efforts to recover from borderline personality disorder and other emotional disorders authentically and permanently It offers a solid, comprehensive foundation of insights that are simply non-negotiable for anybody interested in real recovery from emotional disorder. The course is structured, it's thorough, and informatively superior to nearly any other program like it. Dependent on your sincerity and willingness to do your part, The Last Symptom Fundamentals course can help you gain insights that will entirely change your understanding of what authentic recovery involves and your approach to it in a way that can bring real results. You're going to be hearing me pushing it at you in every episode from now on because it's worth it. I invite you to run over to thelastsymptom.com, go into the Paid Services tab, click on the link for The Last Symptom Fundamentals course, and watch the free introduction video to the course to decide if you or somebody you care about might benefit from enrolling. Well, here we are, black and white thinking, that is, thinking In absolutes, years ago, I was sitting on a hill. And on this hill, I was talking to my friend, William. We all just call him Will. But Will's about 15 years older than me, something like that. So this was a discussion between a guy in his late teens, which was me, and a guy who was well into life by that point. 
So this was way before I knew anything about borderline personality disorder and long before my life crisis that initiated my efforts toward authentic recovery. Will had a rough childhood growing up. His dad was a seriously problematic, emotionally abusive person. I'll never forget what Will told me that day about children who grow up in, a, in abusive environments. He said that after an extremely stressful or abusive episode, children will often go organize or clean. The reason they do this, he said, was to create order out of the chaos. Some semblance of order within all of the chaos. Also, they've just been treated as dirt. You know, they've been treated as if they're totally powerless over their lives and over their circumstances. And so by cleaning or organizing or rearranging things, they get to regain a small sense of control in their life. When Will told me this, and I have no idea where he learned it, but when he told me this, I looked inward. And I realized that after every single abusive encounter with my dad, that would just drag on and on and leave me utterly demolished and depleted. I would do exactly, exactly what Will was describing. <laughs> I would go to my room and begin to organize and rearrange my room, pick things up, put things away, move my bed over here, move my dresser over into the other corner for a change. Now, here's the most interesting part of this conversation that I was having with Will. At the time we had this conversation on that hill, you have to remember that at that time, I was working with the perception that me and my life were completely normal. You know, from my perspective, my mom and dad were the greatest parents ever and that my family environment was just the way families are supposed to be. You know, the moments of fighting here and there was just normal family stuff. And there was no reason to exaggerate it or dwell on it or to be a weakling about it. Best to pretend all negative things away and not, not dwell on them, not let, not let them make you sad anymore once they're over. So, even though I specifically remember pausing long enough in that conversation to reflect on what Will had said, and to analyze myself by it, it was so brief, and I quickly dismissed it, and I explained it away. It could have been so obvious to me, and I say could have been because I, I think should have been just isn't a very constructive way to think, but it could have been that conversation and, and that realization I had there could have been so obvious to me 
that Will was perfectly explaining my own behaviors and the reasons for them, that this strongly indicated that my family environment was not, in fact, completely, quote-unquote, normal. Yeah, it was staring me right in the face, but I refused to see it. As a side note, just to see how well you're learning, what is the psychological phenomenon that you and I have discussed many times that would cause me to have some reality screaming in my face but me being unable to see it. Do you remember the word for this? Denial. Yeah, denial. So I was in complete denial. You know, I didn't want that to be true about my family. And, uh, you know, I would have stayed in denial forever if the events with my ex-wife Diana had not taken place. But back to this part about children organizing and cleaning when they're in emotionally abusive environments. Think about the intense stress and anguish that must be going on inside a child and how astonishing it is that this emotional turmoil actually manifests into predictable behaviors totally beneath one's awareness. What I mean is that I never in a million, a trillion years would have had any natural impulse whatsoever to analyze or question why I wanted to clean my room. If you had asked me why I wanted to clean my room after some big, uh, terribly emotionally damaging uh, argument with my father. And I went in to clean my room, and if you had asked me, now why do, you, why do you reckon you've got an urge to do that? I would have thought you were crazy for even asking. You know, like, uh, do I really need a reason to clean my room? But undeniably, my urges to organize, rearrange, and clean my room were coming from precisely the reasons that Will had explained all those years ago, which, you know, after that conversation, I quickly shoved uh, thoughts of that aside. The reality is that within myself, I was in profound pain and anguish. My life was chaotic. My family life was chaotic. I had no way of knowing uh, that my family environment was harmful and unhealthy and that it was powerfully affecting me negatively. Why did I have no way of knowing this? Because I didn't have anything to compare it to. My family was the only family I had any experience being a member of. Do you see? We can't comprehend what we simply have never had any exposure to. If you doubt it, try inventing a brand new collar in your head. <laughs> Not a variation of an already existing collar, but a brand new standalone collar. <laughs> you can't do it, can you? And why not? Because we can't comprehend what we have never had 
our eyes open to first. Have you ever noticed that uh, when you're watching a movie, like a science fiction movie, and then there's an alien or a monster, have you ever asked yourself, why do the monsters always look like insects? Why do the aliens always look like jellyfish or light bulbs or <laughs> any other thing like that, right? You never see anything. They, they never portray an alien or a monster as anything uh, completely unrelated to what we're already familiar with. Have you noticed that? Why is that? It's because we can't comprehend, as people, what we have never had our eyes open to first. Now, you might be wondering what any of this has to do with black and white thinking or thinking in absolutes, but it all comes down to one word. Do you know what that word is? Comfort. Comfort. That's the word. Me organizing my room brought me a sense of organization and control in an utterly chaotic and powerless reality. In other words, it provided me with a measure of comfort. Why do unhealthy people cling to black and white thinking? Well, the, the simple answer is that it provides them a measure of comfort. You see, certainty, reliability, and what for them is an otherwise uncertain powerless, and painful reality. Do you like the reliability of knowing that when you finish school or work for the day, that you will have a home waiting for you to return to? That's comforting, ain't it? It provides you with what? Well, it provides you with a sense of security, doesn't it? When it comes to a sense of security that comes from reliability, think about children and ask yourself, what is the foremost need of children? Well, they don't have mortgages, and they're not worried about their retirement accounts. No, the reliability that children depend on involves their very lives. Uh, this might be a pretty profound uh, aha insight for a lot of people. What brings children comfort is the reliability that they will be taken care of so that they don't die. What do I mean? Have you ever seen an infant, of a baby that is just a few days old? What reality is that baby living with that we, as adults, are not. The reality that baby is dealing with is that it is utterly and totally dependent on other people for getting its needs met. And if its needs don't get met, if the people it depends on, for whatever reason, don't come through, death is a certainty. Think about that. Can you imagine yourself right now being in such an utterly vulnerable state as that? 
your life actually hanging in the balance of what those you depend on do or don't do. Now, while holding on to that thought, let me ask you this. Is it very comforting to be in a situation where the reliability, the reliability of those you depend on for your very life is questionable? Is that very comforting? That's not very comforting, is it? Those of us who grew up in emotionally unhealthy environments did not experience childhoods of great reliability and security. Think about the fear of abandonment that so many people with borderline personality disorder struggle with. Do you know where that comes from? It comes from the suspicion. Now, listen to this closely. It comes from the suspicion that the people you are utterly dependent on for your needs are not completely reliable. In other words, you do not have the total comfort of knowing for an absolute certainty that they won't leave you on a street corner someday. Isn't that terrible? And because you are truly dependent on them for your life, what is the fear? What would being left on a street corner someday mean? Death. So yes, we're talking about fears and concerns and insecurity. Being born from your very life, being on the line, and you being in an environment where your caretaker's attitudes made you unconsciously or subconsciously doubt their reliability. How, how did they do this? They did it by not being reliable caretakers of your emotional needs. See, because they were negligent in this, your genius subconscious brain as a child figured out the broader implications of what that means. You see, if they are negligent in fulfilling your emotional needs then their reliability overall is questionable because this is one of their fundamental responsibilities and they're not living up to it. How confident can you be that they will live up to these other aspects of life that you depend on them for? You can't. All you can do is hope and hope and hope. And all of this, by the way, that we're talking about is unconscious or subconscious hope and fear and insecurity. In other words, as a child, you weren't walking around aware of these things. Until we started talking about it today, you might not have been aware of it. Notice that when we talk about your emotional needs, we're talking about real human needs. You know, a need is something you absolutely must have for survival Food is a physical need. You know, without it, you die. Intimacy, love, dignity. 
concern for your feelings, things like these are real needs. If they're not met, then a person does not develop healthily. And it can literally result in eventual death. Yes, it can literally result in eventual death. What is suicide, if not profound discontentment with oneself and life as a result of profound emotional hurt and neglect? How about drug addiction and overdose? How about alcoholism and, and organ failure? How about cancer due to a life of chain smoking as a coping method? Emotional abuse is not less serious than physical abuse. Let's go back to how comforting it is to know that you have a home to go back to when you leave school or work. You know, this this ain't a perfect example because it doesn't literally involve a matter of life or death like what we're talking about does. But imagine that uh, you haven't paid your mortgage for six months and you don't know if you're going to have a home to return to after school or after work. Now how much comfort do you feel? Not much comfort, do you? You see, the unreliability is terrible. It's the exact opposite of comforting. If your life were hanging in the balance, how much more terrible would the unreliability be then? People who grew up in unhealthy environments are still walking around in fear for their lives deep, deep below their conscious awareness. You see, their circumstances have changed. They're no longer in a dependent state. That's the irony. As adults, they themselves are in total control of getting their own needs met. They're not dependent on others for this anymore. But because of the tremendous unconscious uncertainty they lived with their entire childhoods, This fear still exists for them. The the child inside of them is still in fear for his or her life. And that brings us back to black and white thinking, the thinking in absolutes. It is simply a way to provide oneself comfort, the comfort of reliability. It's all this or it's all that. And now it's settled, and my world is reliable and dependable. Remember, reliability equals what? Comfort. A person in your life in any given moment isn't good and bad at the same time, no. You know, like we all are in reality. Rather, the person is all good or all bad. And this absolute view brings stability dependability, comfort. It's reliable. That is, until your feelings change and you go back to believing the person is all good again. This is also a method of trying to cushion pain, you know. When you declare in your mind that a person is utterly bad and you want nothing to do with them ever again, it can be a way to preemptively prevent disappointment and pain that you fear is a possible eventuality. You eliminate the uncertain nature of that future pain 
And what do you replace it with instead? You replace it with reliable finality. You rob the other person of having any power to possibly cause you pain. And you remove the unreliability of not knowing the future. You now have the reliability of avoiding any surprise pain in a week or two down the line. And remember, reliability equals comfort. This is also where being a know-it-all comes in, you know, of having to be right all the time. Think of how insistent people like this get and how furiously they will argue and refuse to consider that they might be wrong about anything. What is that being born from? Reliability, control in an otherwise unreliable and powerless life. In other words, it's just another example of a child rearranging and organizing his bedroom. In contrast to the black and white thinking that unhealthy people get comfort from and the insistence on being in total and constant control of everybody and everything around them, do you know where healthy people get their comfort? Healthy people get their comfort by living in harmony with the law of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority, either consciously or unknowingly. I say consciously or unknowingly because if you're somebody like me who did not grow up in a healthy family, then the law of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority is something you had to literally figure out, name, and then make a conscious decision to begin living in harmony with. But if you're somebody unlike me, who was simply raised in a healthy environment, then this means you have always been living in harmony with the law of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority without ever having to sit and figure out what it is or consciously subject yourself to it. No, you you just grew up living in harmony with it naturally. If you would like to know more about the law of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority, please find the episode of this podcast where I discuss it in great detail. But basically it comes down to this. Healthy people, one, realize that they stopped being dependent on anybody else the moment they become independent adult free agents. Because of this, number two, they realize that they themselves as individuals are now responsible for and capable of getting all of their own needs fulfilled for themselves. Number three, because they live up to this responsibility to themselves consistently and healthfully, you know, not waiting on others to do it for them, they enjoy the reliability, there's that word again, that they provide themselves. And remember, number four, reliability equals comfort. Healthy people embrace the reality that most things are subjective and fall into areas of gray, not black and white. Remember, I say this as a person who once had borderline personality disorder myself, as interwoven into my life as anybody. I used to live a black and white, 
all-or-nothing existence myself. And one huge change that I live with now is this recognition and appreciation for the fact that almost everything in life is relative. A fun and constructive exercise, you could even call it a game, a nice game for you to play is to take something that uh, you have a concrete view of about and then completely yank the rug out from underneath of it. For example, I think that you and I, all of us, can agree that animal cruelty is bad, isn't it? Is it? Well, what if you're trying to free your child from the jaws of a crocodile? Ah, now stabbing that poor crocodile in the eye with a stick ain't such a bad thing, is it? You see, by mixing up the context just a little bit, you can take many things that you have settled on a black and white conclusion about and utterly turn it on its head. In fact, while we're speaking about absolutes, did you know that not even time, not even time is absolute? If I'm flying in an airplane, time is moving differently for me than it is for you sitting on your couch down on the ground. That's true. In fact, the satellites, the GPS satellites that we use uh, with our GPS units in our cars, those satellites regularly, (laughs) regularly have to be recalibrated. And why is that? Because time is moving different for them. uh, And I'm not talking about the clock. Not the clock is moving different. Time itself is moving different for the satellite than it is for your GPS unit down here on the Earth. That's true. Not even size is absolute. If I asked you to stick a 10-foot ladder, a a 10-foot long ladder, into a 9-foot long shed, you'd probably tell me that's impossible. But did you know that, again, if the ladder is moving fast enough when it goes into the shed, then it will fit perfectly without touching either end of the shed. This is because of something called length contraction. It happens with things that are in motion. If you don't believe me, look it up. Length contraction. You'll be fascinated. My point is that thinking in absolutes may bring comfort to those who are unhealthy, but only because they're unhealthy. You see, they lack having a concrete certainty to rely on, which is the type of reliability and comfort they so powerfully craved in their childhood but never got to enjoy. Their family environment simply did not provide it because everybody in that environment was ate up with emotional unhealth and didn't value your emotional needs or even perceive their importance, you know, to be frank about it. Now, it's worth asking this question. Is black and white or absolutes always a bad thing? Well, black and white is a bad, is a bad thing when it comes to opinion. It's not a bad thing when it comes to accepting what is simply a reality. So, for example, 
I have told you in the past that everybody who has borderline personality disorder, the cause for their borderline personality disorder is the same for everybody, no exceptions. And my critics like to say, oh, well, that's black and white thinking. Another thing I've said is that uh, the very nature of what borderline personality disorder is makes things like love and empathy absolutely impossible. There again, the critics say, oh, boy, he's being so black and white. Well, one would be bothered by these things, these absolutes that I teach. If one's working from the perspective that I'm simply touting my opinion. Now, remember what we just said. Black and white is a bad thing when it comes to opinion. It is not a bad thing when it comes to accepting what is simply a reality. So, for example, I may tell you that carrots are the best vegetable of all time. And you might argue that celery is a lot better. And I get angry, and I work to convince you that you are absolutely wrong about this. Carrots are indisputably the best vegetable of all time, and that anybody who disagrees with me is is an idiot. You see, this qualifies as unhealthy black and white thinking. Anything that is subjective cannot be black and white. However, if I tell you that people cannot breathe underwater without some sort of gear, this is not an opinion, is it? This is not black and white thinking. This is a simple reality. And you either see why it's the reality and come to accept it, or you don't. But you see that in both cases, an absolute is being expressed. Carrots are the best vegetable. People cannot breathe underwater without gear. Both express an absolute. But one is an example of being black and white about a thing, and the other is absolutely not an example of being black and white. So again, many, many critics enjoy pointing to the absolutes that I teach, and then they accuse me of being black and white. But what they don't understand or accept is that some realities are realities they simply have to learn to see if they ever hope to recover from the distorted perceptions of their emotional disorder. And if they spent their time and energy trying to see these puzzle pieces come together harmoniously rather than rebelling against them and looking for exceptions, they would progress in their recovery by leaps and bounds very quickly. So when I tell you that the one cause of borderline personality disorder is the two distorted core beliefs that we often talk about, this is not an opinion. It's, it's not me expressing an opinion It's not a subjective truth. It's the simple reality that all people who have the disorder are dealing with. You know, it's like people can't breathe underwater without a mask and an oxygen oxygen tank. You don't hear people arguing that, but how do you know that? I'm an individual. (laughs) I'm an individual. How can you make such a blanket statement about all people? Well, because people are people. Some things are just... Uh, absolute when it comes to if you're a person this truth holds true to you 
And uh, so that's what we're talking about when we say that uh, if you have borderline personality disorder, the cause is the same for everybody. It's, it's because you're a person <laughs> that I can say that. And there are just some laws that apply to, to you if you're a person. Your individuality doesn't change it. So the cause of borderline personality disorder is not opinion. It's, it's not a subjective truth. It's just the simple reality. One's inability to see how it's true in their case does not make them an, an exception. You know, it, it simply means that they're not seeing how it's true in their case. That's all that means. When I say that if you stop eating food and drinking water, you will die, this is not my opinion. <laughs> Even if you don't believe me or a million people are telling you something different, it's not an example of me being black and white about a thing. Rather, it's a simple reality that if you don't understand why it's the truth, you simply have to spend more time thinking about it until you do. Topics like authentic love and true empathy fit the same pattern. For me to say that borderline personality disorder makes them impossible is not my opinion. It's not an example of black and white thinking. Any person who does not understand why things like authentic love and true empathy are made impossible by borderline personality disorder simply does not understand what borderline personality disorder really is, what authentic love really is, what true empathy really is. So frankly... Anybody who's rebelling against the idea that they can't experience authentic love and empathy, uh, you need to go back to the beginning, figure out how you're understanding, you know, your very understanding about the nature of borderline personality disorder is off. And after that, the next constructive thing to do would be to reevaluate your understanding of what authentic love and authentic empathy are. Right? You, you got to correct those. You see, they're not just feelings. That love and empathy are not just something we feel. They are qualities, not feelings. So as long as a person is working with the understanding that, you know, that these qualities are just things they feel inside of themselves, that they're just feelings then the person is never going to understand why borderline personality disorder makes them impossible because the very premise that the person is working with is blocking their ability to see the truth. See, they, they have to readjust their very understanding of what these things truly are, and then it will click into place for them, hopefully. So... There's our discussion about black and white thinking. Uh, this was prompted by a post on my Facebook education group. If you're interested in joining that, it's uh, you can find it by searching Brian Barnett colon, the last symptom. Please answer the mandatory questions in order to be admitted. But uh, somebody had posted this months ago, and... Uh, I have just been hanging on to it with the intention of doing an episode of this show uh, on that topic. So now 
we've accomplished that. I hope that you've enjoyed today's show. Um, I've got to close down and, and get packing because I'm going to take my daughter to a cave this weekend, her first cave experience. So we're going to tour that. And so I need to, to get ready for that. I hope you folks treat yourselves nicely this weekend. Do something nice for yourself. I'll see you uh, next week about the same time, same place. Uh, you take care of yourself. And thanks for listening to the show today. Mm-hmm.